Hey, y'all. Real quick before I hit play on this episode of Familypreneur for you, I want to be sure that you know that I have a brand new podcast available for you to check out. It's called Just Marketing, and you can find it on this podcast platform. Go ahead and search for Just Marketing and hit subscribe so you don't miss anything. Then come back here and listen to this episode of Familypreneur. It'll still be here waiting for you. Welcome to Familypreneur, the podcast for parent entrepreneurs raising kidpreneurs. It's time for your weekly dose of inspiration and actionable tips to build your business and find better balance, all while strengthening your family. And now we'd like to introduce your host. She's my mom and the bomb.com, Meg Brunson. Hey there, thanks for joining me on another episode of the Familypreneur podcast. Today's guest is a parent of a preschooler with a master's in psychology focused on child development and another in education. She hosts a podcast called Your Parenting Mojo. It's a reference guide for parents of toddlers and preschoolers based in scientific research and the principles of respectful parenting. In each episode, she takes an issue related to child development and examines it from all sides to help parents understand how to make decisions about raising their children. Today, I'm really excited to talk about addressing racial bias in our children and in our businesses with Jen Lumenlan. Hey, Jen, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Oh, I'm excited to have you. We are going to dive into a very timely topic. We're going to talk about race, privilege, bias, um, all of these things have been brought to the forefront of our attention, you know, over the past couple months with the, um, gosh, all of the murders and um, the Black Lives Matter movement. And for you and I, I feel like I'm speaking for both of us, but these topics and these issues have kind of always been important to us. But now I feel like the world is ready to hear what we have to say. So I'm really excited to talk to you not only about raising a child to be, you know, aware and um, sensitive to racial issues, but also how that impacts us as entrepreneurs. So I want to thank you for joining us and going through this sensitive topic. I'm excited. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) So let's open up with a question um, Mm -hmm. about how ideas about race even develop in our children. Mm Because I feel like, you know, is it learned or is it something you're born with. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's not something you're born with <laughs> because the, the concept of race is itself a cultural idea. Um, it, it's, it's, and the way we know that is because it's changed over time. So um, there was a time when uh, Irish people were not considered to be white enough to uh, be allowed to immigrate into the US. And so because these these, uh, parameters shift depending on who we want to include or exclude this week, this year, (laughs) that's how we know it's a cultural thing. So it's not something that the children are born with. So how how does it happen? How does this process happen in children? Well, um, when when infants are born, when they're in this newborn phase, they don't have any preference for uh, faces of any race. 
Um, so, so it's, they're essentially kind of a blank slate from that perspective at that point. By about three months of age, they start to look, uh, longer at faces of their own race. And this is really how, uh, this kind of research is done. You know, how, how we understand babies' preferences is researchers look at, well, how long do they look at this thing versus that thing? And we assume they have a preference for the thing they look longer at. Um, and by about nine months, they recognize faces from their own race better. And so this is kind of an early precursor of the in-group, out-group idea, uh, which becomes more important in the later years. And the way that that works is it's, we were flooded all day with information, so much information from so many different sources. And the way our brains cope with that is to categorize it and say, okay, this thing looks like that other thing. <laughs> it looks like it, it smells like it, sounds like it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume it's the same as this other thing. And so I'm going to put it in that category, which helps me to understand how to deal with it without having to think through, you know, what does it look like? What does it sound like? What does it smell like? And <laughs> every time I, in, I um, encounter one of these categories. And so from there, we make the assumption that um, the people who are in our category, who look similar to us, are better than the people who are in a different category who don't look as similar to us. And so we see that um, it, around, it starts to come out maybe around age four or five. Um, and if you've heard of Jane Elliott and her experiment, um, it was it was a long time ago now, I think back in the 60s where uh, she was in Kansas. Yeah, it was actually, she did it after Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated as a way of explaining to her class, her, her class, her students, what, um, what, what one of the effects of racism looks like. And so she said, okay, all the, all the brown eyed children you're all superior today <laughs> you can tell the blue-eyed kids what to do um you you are basically in charge and so the brown-eyed kids take this on and they're bossing the blue kids around and the blue kids are all crying and they're not enjoying the experience and then the next day she flips it around and says okay now the blue-eyed children are in charge and exactly the reverse thing happens. Um, and so, so we get these ideas about who is, uh, who's in our group and therefore who is uh, superior. And then those messages are reinforced through our culture. I mean, if you think about the movies, the TV, the things that our kids are watching in books, um, who is it that's the heroine? Well, it's the, it's the white girl with the wavy blonde hair, <laughs> by and large. Um, and, and it comes out in, in places that you would never expect. I mean, I was looking for examples of this for an article that I was writing on, on ways that parents have white privilege. And, and there was a, a reading primer and you think, okay, well, reading primer must be innocuous. But there were there were four four pictures on this page. There were two of white children, um, and the, one of them, the white child, was having a birthday, and and you had the child had to write happy underneath. Uh, another picture, the white child was um, she was wearing a first place ribbon, and the child had to write proud underneath. Then there were two children who had brown colored skin on on the page, and uh, one of them had a balloon that had popped, and the child had to write sad underneath. And one of them had a dog who had, who had eaten their homework, and the child had to write angry underneath. And it's like if, if we are giving our children these ideas about, you know, well, children who have dark colored skin are angry and they're sad and children who have light colored skin are happy and proud. I mean, it's just so pernicious that it's everywhere in our, our culture. And then on top of that, parents are uncomfortable discussing it because it makes us feel 
icky. <laughs> like and I've been were, part of this. I'm perpetuating. We raised <laughs> not to talk yeah. about it. Oh yeah. So we, so we just kind of, we hide behind it. We say, okay, I'm colorblind. I see everybody the same. It's not an issue when that in itself is a massive contributor to, um, to raising children who have racial bias. Now, is this, is this an exclusive white parent problem or is, you know what I mean? Or is this something that black parents have to deal with too, that, that you're aware where, you know, for those of you who are listening, we are both white women who yes. are talking right now and we both have experience race, raising a biracial child. So I feel like we have a unique perspective and that, you know, people always say that your child is like your heart that lives outside your body. And for, for us, that heart is in a black body or a brown body. So um, I'm just curious if this is an exclusive, you know, white parent problem. Right. I think the answer to that is no. Um, And the, the more sort of, uh, the, the one click down answer to that is, is um, not always there. Are, there are some people who argue that uh, black people cannot be, uh, cannot have racial bias. Um, and then there are other black people who would say that because uh, white superiority, white supremacy is so ingrained in every aspect of our culture that even black people have taken on this idea of, you know, maybe subconsciously that, that whiteness is superior and that that is some work they need to dismantle. And I don't really want to say any more about that because I'm not black and I don't want to speak for black people. Sure. That's not my place in this. Um, the, the middle ground I think is, is where there's a lot of work to do because um, people who, who don't, who don't uh, identify as black and who don't identify as white uh, have probably both experienced racism and also participate in anti-black sentiment um, in aligning themselves with whiteness uh, because it that is aligning yourself with power. Um, so, you know, we see skin lightening creams selling billions and billions and billions of dollars in across Asia, across India, across many places, because aligning yourself with, with whiteness is uh, seen as bringing more power, more, more dominance. Um, and so uh, it, it's not exclusive to white people, although white people bear the primary, primary responsibility for dismantling this uh, because we were the ones who created it. Exactly. Um, so what are you working on now? What are you doing in your journey to attempt to reduce the impacts of systemic racism? I think this is something so many people have that instant knee-jerk reaction to want to do something, to want to help, but don't know where to start. Um, and I think it's also important to mention that you've been in, in this fight for a while. So what you're doing now isn't necessarily your starting yeah. point. So maybe if you'd even be willing to talk about what you're doing now, but the transition to get you there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and probably starting with the transition uh, helps. And so, yeah, I, we, we didn't mention, I, I assume <laughs> you'll mention the introduction that I host a podcast on um, uh, issues related to parenting and child development, specifically scientific research on those topics called your parenting mojo. Um, if you had asked me four years ago, if I have any special privilege as a white person, as a white parent, I probably would have looked at you and said, I don't really know what you're talking about. So, um, so this has been a journey for me over the last few years uh, where I had I had started doing episodes on intergenerational trauma what does the research say about that and then I started thinking well what does it say about intergener- intergenerational trauma for uh, black parents who have you know experienced slavery and, and all of this trauma has come down through their families and I talked with a fellow black podcaster about it who said don't look at that that's not your thing it's not your thing to look at look at whiteness understand whiteness and what is your privilege there? And so 
uh, I didn't know that uh, black parents can't have their child take a toy, their, their own stuffed toy, their own snack into a store because they're afraid of being afraid of being accused of stealing or that their child has stolen it. Um, that parents of black boys are afraid that their child will have a tantrum in a public place because there's nothing less safe in the white mind than an out of control black boy. And when I learned those, it was, it was like a light bulb. <laughs> yes, I have privilege. Ding. <laughs> um, and so what am I going to do about this? And so that has really been the journey that I've been on over the last four years or so. Um, and, and really it takes two tacks. Um, because I'm a podcaster, because I have this platform, um, I, I look to scientific research um, to uh, help other parents understand what is their role in this. And uh, I, I really approached this with a sense of humility. Um, it, it took me it took me a while to get comfortable with the idea of even talking about this because I was like, who, who am I to, <laughs> to put myself out there and have these conversations? This is scary. Um, but when I, I realized I'm, I'm not out here as the expert, as the person who's telling you the list of things that you need to be doing to be doing this work right, I'm basically saying, you know, I, I might be one step ahead of you on this journey. <laughs> I'm reaching back. I'm holding out a hand. I'm saying, hey, if you're standing on the bank and, and crossing this great stream looks scary right now, grab hold of my hand and I've got resources to help you take that first step. Um, so, so that's one aspect of my public facing role. And another is to amplify voices of people of non-dominant cultures, which is a phrase that I use. It kind of acknowledges the role of, of supremacy in, in this, um, that it's, it's not just about skin color. It's about power. Um, and so uh, th those are my public facing roles. And then in my private work, um, it's sort of a host, a whole host of, of actions from reading books that have diverse characters to my daughter by diverse authors, um, pointing out where books only feature white characters. Well, why is that? <laughs> was this book written a long time ago or do, do we still think this today? This was published recently. Why, why are there no <laughs> non-white characters in this book? Um, we talk about difficult topics like slavery and the civil rights movement and things that a lot of parents are, you know, oh my goodness, where do I even start? I talked with a, a guy who teaches teachers who how on how to have these conversations with uh, preschool and elementary school age children. We put together a guide. How do you talk to children about slavery? How do you talk to them about the civil rights movement in a way that doesn't leave them with the idea that, oh, Rosa Parks sat on a bus and now racism's fixed, right? Which is the idea my daughter had come home from preschool with. <laughs> how do we go beyond that? Um, and, and I answer her questions honestly. So when we're driving in Oakland, which is down the road from where I live, uh, and she's seeing people camping on the side of the street, she's been camping, she knows what tents are. Why, why are those people camping? Well, okay, we, <laughs> let's talk about this. Let's not just um, give a one sentence answer and pretend this doesn't exist. But why are they camping? What does that have to do with uh, inequalities in terms of finding jobs, um, in being able to pay for housing? When she's interested in jail, um, we talk about uh, not just that people who do bad things go to jail, but sometimes people who um, do things that we think of as wrong because it's the best choice they have available to them in this moment, firstly. And then secondly, um, people who have dark colored skin are more likely to go to jail for doing the same thing wrong as a person who has light colored skin and that that is wrong. And, and those factors are there. So, um, so that's how I start uh, with, 
with having these conversations with my child. And then I can go deeper into some of the work that I'm doing myself, if that would be helpful. Yeah. I mean, I, I would love to hear, I think everybody would, would love to hear, you know, what else. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so those are sort of some of the child fo- focused activities and, and I really try and involve her in as much of this as I can. So um, obviously I'm reading books to diversify and deepen my own knowledge. I'm following people on social media um, who, who don't look like me because <laughs> when you start to get parenting information from people who don't look like you, then your worldview <laughs> dramatically expands. So um, I actually created a list of, I think it's over 50 people right now who have Facebook or Instagram accounts. They're active in, in thinking about parenting and uh, people can go to yourparentingmojo.com forward slash race. Um, there's everything I've created there on resources related to race, as well as this list of, of people of non-dominant cultures to follow on social media so that you can get these diverse perspectives and information. Um, calling your police department to ask about anti-bias training and, and that they have uh, confirmed that they've instituted body cameras. Um, donations to organizations that work with black children and parents. Um, for my daughter's birthday, we had a fundraiser. We raised 250 bucks for a, a local organization that works to help black doulas um, and, and give them training. Um, donating to black candidates in the election. Um, there are reparations groups on Facebook and I won't mention a specific one cause I know they get trolled a lot, but if your listeners care about this, you can just go to Facebook, search reparations and a, a couple of those groups will pop up and they have people in them who identify as people of non-dominant cultures who will ask for help. And then white people, uh, will say, yeah, here's, here's some money. Here's, uh, help editing your resume. Here's whatever it is. And so, um, I do find those groups problematic because they don't reduce the power differential. It's still up to the white person to say, am I going to give this person money or not? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which I think is a little problematic, but at the same time, it allows you to make a, such an impactful difference. In, in a person's life right now, you help them get a bus pass so they can get to work. Um, you help edit their resume so they can get a job. It, it, and so from that perspective, it's, it's really nice to be able to see your, the work that you're doing impacting a real person's life today instead of the more nebulous, you know, donation, the money disappears. Hopefully it does some good kind of aspect. Um, and then there's the more systemic stuff. Um, so when when we signed my daughter up at her preschool, they had a policy where uh, if you already knew a family at the school, you were preferentially uh, treated. And so, well, that works really well for all the families who know other white families who are already at school. <laughs> and the reason for the policy is not, you know, it's not a, well, we're going to exclude certain families. It's a, we're, we want to have a cohesive community. Okay. But but we can build community (laughs) no matter who comes in the door. (laughs) And so I wrote to them and said, Hey, would you consider not having this policy anymore? And so, you know, I, the response I got was that uh, we will consider it. And so hopefully it has now moved forward from there. So you don't always get the immediate, you know, we're going to do this right now kind of response, but, um, but hopefully it planted a seed that will help them to make a different choice in the future. Um, signing our children up for different camps, you know, not signing up for the one near our house, which is a very white neighborhood, but the one on the other side of town that has a, a, a really deep social justice uh, agenda and sponsoring a spot for another child at that camp as well, so that you're uh, reducing financial inequality as well. Um, acknowledging the, the native peoples whose land you live on. 
and um, and being super explicit about that. You know, I, I live on the land of the Chechenyo Ohlone and I pay a voluntary tax every year called the Shumi land tax to those people in acknowledgement of that. Um, and so maybe there are organizations in your area that, that you can donate to as well. Um, so that, that's sort of a, a subset. And, and I guess in concluding on that, what I want to say is I'm not perfect. That <laughs> um, each of these actions takes time, it takes energy, and it's also not enough. <laughs> um, and so I, I think there's so much that we can all do, uh, so much internal work to shift our thinking and also so many actions to take, and that this work is going to be a lifetime of effort for all of us, for all of our children. Maybe our children's children will start to see the benefits of this. And I always talk about how it's a multifaceted issue. Oh, like yeah. There's so many ways that you can show your support. Yeah. And so I love hearing about what you're doing because there are things that you just mentioned that I had never even thought of. <laughs> um, and it doesn't mean that I'm worse no. than you. Like my focuses have been on different areas. And I think that that's good. Like we, we need people to focus on each of those facets, but yeah. just continuously learning about yeah. what, what other people are doing. And I also, um, like that you mentioned the school policy mm -hmm. and I have to wonder, like you're in a unique position because you're, you're very educated on these issues. Yeah. But I don't know that I ever would have seen right. like the privilege that I have. Yeah. I never would have looked at that policy and thought of it as a racially limiting or, you know, yeah. or, or, or benefiting the white race policy. Yeah. Um, that's how embedded these things are. And, right. and I actually, I published two blog posts in the last month. Um, the first is on uh, 57 privileges of white parents. So, you know, the, all of those kinds of issues that are so baked in to just to the way we live our lives that we don't even think about them because that's how they're designed, right? They're designed yeah. to help us in a way that we don't even need to think about them. And then, okay, here's, now you understand this. Here's 39 ways <laughs> that you as a parent, I mean, there's many more ways as an individual but that you as a parent can work to dismantle this privilege. And so, yeah, both of those are up on the yourparentingmojo.com forward slash race post. And it's so. looking at the intent versus the impact and yes. valuing the impact. Yes. Because yeah. the intent, like you said, was to build community. But yeah. if they only have like a five or 10% minority and I, what did you say? Cultural, how did you word it? Non-dominant. Um, uh, oh, people of non-dominant cultures. Yeah, yeah. I like that because I, I never know kind of how to classify. Yeah. It's like not in wide usage, but um, yeah. for me, the, the, the pa I mean, the power differential is so important. And the yeah. other thing it does is it avoids centering whiteness. So if you say yes. people of color, you're saying that whiteness is the norm and that any other color is different from that, is not the norm. Whereas people of non-dominant cultures takes that aspect out of it. So that's, that's why I use that term. And I don't like minorities either because it makes Because they're not a minority. Right. <laughs> We're the minority. <laughs> so, yes. So part of this, this whole conversation is good because it's like, I will make mistakes. I will say minorities. Yes. I will. And, and, and I'm working will. on it, you know? Um, so the, the non-dop, so you've got, gosh, now I have to go back to my original thought. If you've got such a small percentage of those non-dominant cultures, yeah. then that policy of knowing somebody just works against yeah. Being an inclusive environment. So yeah. wanting to ensure that the places that your, your family and your children are hanging out are inclusive and have a variety of people. So yeah. much good information there. So thank you so much. <laughs> now I'm going to shift things a little bit because yeah. we, this episode I feel like could be like a whole 
<laughs> we could talk for longer. <laughs> right? Um, but I'd love to shift and talk a little bit about entrepreneurship and mm-hmm. some of the ways that you've identified privilege playing out in the entrepreneurial world. Because I think that's too a, a, an area where we can make an impact. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I think your point about where is it that I'm going to make the most impact is, is really critical. Um, each one of us cannot do every single potential action um, that, that needs to be done, but each one of us has a unique set of skills and can show up in this work in a, in a unique way that's right for them. And, and I don't know if your listeners know this, but I just want to call this out. Um, when, when you uh, invite people to be on your show, you have them subscribe to a set of policies and say, if you, if you don't agree with these policies that Black Lives Matter, that, um, and there was something about gender, and you know, I looked at them for a few seconds and didn't memorize them, but it, it was a, an inclusive list of the things that you believe. And if you don't believe these things are... Um, are real, <laughs> then, then you're, you're not going to be a fit with this show. And so that is a way that you can use your influence and uh, your platform to enact change. Uh, and other, other business owners who want to come on your show are going to see this and think, whoa, that's an awesome idea. I should be doing that too. And so you're having a, a ripple effect just by having that policy for your guests. And so that's something that is, is, um, unique to your specific skills and and influence. And so what I would encourage people listening to do is to say, okay, well, what's, what's my specific skills and influence. I could put a policy on like that if I have a podcast for my guests as well, but where does my business work specifically on these issues? And so when, when I think about uh, the, the ways that this issue intersects with entrepreneurship, I mean, it's, it, it really goes back to the, the preschool example. It's about networks. <laughs> um, 1% of, of venture capital funded startups have a black founder. More than 80% of venture capital firms don't have a single black investor. And because all of this uh, funding flows through networks of information, through introductions, through handshakes, if you don't know the right people, it's a lot harder to get in. So that's kind of at the, you know, once we're getting big and we really need money stage, well, let's back up a stage from there. Before you get to that stage, most founders are raising money from friends and family. And so having friends and family who have wealth is critical to your being able to do that. And, And it is documented, I mean, it has been extensively documented that uh, black families have a tiny fraction of the wealth of white families. Um, for every hundred dollars of wealth that a white family has, uh, black families have about $10. And if you ask white families that question, they believe that black families have $90 for every hundred dollars. So white, white families not only have this massive gap of $90 of wealth, they don't perceive that gap. They perceive it as a very small gap. And so when black founders are thinking about starting a company, then they are probably going to lack access to the kinds of wealth that white families have access to. And I don't want to marry the idea of wealth and of sorry, of blackness and poverty together, because that's not, that's not correct. And we shouldn't do that. Um, But we do know that black families have less wealth on average than white families and that that wealth is important when you're starting a business. Um, even beyond when you're in the stage of looking for funding. I mean, this, this is where I'm at, I'm at in my business. I'm, I'm not looking for funding. I, <laughs> I'm certainly not looking for VC funding. Um, I'm in the, in the process of building a business for myself. And so I, I see my own 
uh, privilege playing out in so many places. I mean, just three examples. I, I have a listener whose husband works at Facebook. And if you're a Facebook employee, you, as you probably know, <laughs> get access to a credit every month um, that you can spend. You can't spend it promoting your own stuff, um, but you can gift it to anyone else. So they gift that to me. And because of the racial disparities in employment at Facebook, there are more white people. <laughs> and so uh, I have that person in my network and that is a direct benefit to me. Um, when I need to think about my business strategy, it's really easy for me to be able to convene a panel of people who have incredible experience of CEOs and of working at the top level of, of not just big companies, but startups who have sold and, and you know, generated millions for their founders. And, and this is just my personal network of friends. And so I can then benefit from their expertise in my business. And if I don't have, if I'm black and I don't have people who have that kind of experience, then I'm not able to gain the benefit of their expertise either. Um, and I've benefited from listeners who have experience in copywriting and PR and understanding your customer journey who reach out and say, Hey, I, I love what you're doing. I want to help. Um, and so the, the key point that I want to make in this is that, uh, Black people have historically been excluded from certain types of employment. And, and even when the barrier is, uh, you know, there's no legal barrier to doing it, there are plenty of documented cases where <laughs> um, if you put a black name on a resume, it doesn't get a call back. If you put a white name on the same resume, they get a call back. So when that happens, it's not just the individual that doesn't get that job that loses out. It's everybody else in their networks. And so when we improve the diversity of big companies and funded companies, it's not just helping those companies and those individuals who get hired um, because in a world where our networks just aren't very diverse right now, hiring people into these big companies, these funded companies improves the outcomes for the other people in their networks as well. And of course, obviously we also need to improve the diversity of our networks. <laughs> So yeah, it's, I mean, it's everywhere. <laughs> yes, <laughs> as all of these things are. Well, and one of the other things that I've done is taken a look at the programs um, and the products that I'm using. Mm -hmm. So like yep. I was using a, a, a calendar scheduling tool and I noticed over the past couple of weeks, there was no statement yeah. about Black Lives Matter. And so yeah. then I started looking at competitor calendar tools mm -hmm. and I noticed that Calendly is a black owned business. Ah, didn't know that. The owner or the founder, and I might be getting his title wrong, but the, yeah. the um, owner the or head founder, of the company, <laughs> head of the company frequently speaks about diversity. Mm. And they, of course, made a statement. They're giving money to Black Girls Code and other. So it was like, you know what? This is not going to be the easiest thing for me right now. I've got. Yeah. 59 million other things I could be doing, but I'm switching my calendar program. And I think that you actually encountered some of the, like I've been switching all the links and so all my automations are a little yes. bit off. Um, but it was really important for me because I wanted to, even that little, you know, whatever it is, $30 or something a month, yeah. that payment that I make monthly, I'm going to make it regardless. I can choose where it goes. And yeah. so I made the, the impact decision of that money. Yeah. From now on, from here on out, it's going to go to a black owned business, which yeah. honestly I've been very happy with, you know, like <laughs> since I made the switch. Um, and it, it's a way for me to, to make an impact. So yeah. I think that there's little ways 
there too that you can absolutely yeah when i was looking for insurance for my business i made sure to reach out to a black owned insurance firm and get a quote from them and it's it's not necessarily that every time you must purchase from a black owned business i mean certainly uh if there are a couple of calendar options and they're essentially the same then yeah pick the black owned one um but but that you are at least thinking about it and you're at least pulling them into your the sphere of options that you're considering because if you're not doing that then yeah the money goes to a white owned business and the, the situation perpetuates it, it nothing is going to change yeah and you never know what you might be missing right because yeah. there really is i mean i feel like it's probably a cliche thing but the more variation that you can get like the stronger you're going to be because you're going to pull the best from each situation you know right. from each person or each program um so yeah so those are a lot of great ways that we can mm-hmm. And like you said, too, diversifying your network. Um, if you have a podcast or a blog that you feature people, making sure that you're featuring, pe- featuring an inclusive group of people. Um, so I think the, the last thing I want to ask, and I know we might have already touched on a lot of this stuff, but um, what would be your like final points, what parents can do, mm-hmm. what parent entrepreneurs can do to take the next step on their own journey towards being anti-racist, which again is uh, a phrase, a word that has kind of grown in popularity. You know, it's not enough anymore to just be like, again, like to just ignore racism. Right. Again, now I can't remember what like the normal word, like what the other term is. Being non-racist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Non-racist. Yeah. So I'm non-racist. That's not enough. Right. You have to be anti-racist. <laughs> you have to stand up and actually do something to help. Right. Um, yeah. And what, are, what, what would those first steps be? Yeah. Yeah. And, and just on that, firstly, on that issue of, of non-racism, I actually don't believe non-racism is a thing. Um, you're, you're either uh, working actively to dismantle your racism or you are participating in this system and you may be both, you know, you, you, you and I are still participating in the system of white supremacy, even as we're taking actions to dismantle that system. That's, it's just the world in which we operate. Um, but if we are not actively doing this work ourselves, if we're not actively raising our children to do this work, then we are perpetuating a racist system. So, so just to clarify that first. Um, and when I, when I think about, okay, what's the thing to do? I, there was a, a fantastic article um, it was an opinion piece in the Washington Post a few weeks ago by a black writer named Trey Johnson. And uh, <laughs> he started out by saying, well, when things get really violent and aggressive um, for people in the black community, white people read and talk about their reading and white people listen and talk about their listening. <laughs> and and uh, his point was, uh, you know, when, when things hurt black people, white people join book clubs. Um, and so, yes, we need to read. We need to listen. <laughs> and then we need to take a next step. And so what should we do? Well, um, he acknowledges in that piece that the, it must be confusing and his word is maddening to uh, hear conflicted advice from different people about what you should and shouldn't be doing. Some people say, step up, do work. Some people say, step back, you know, let, let black people lead this. Um, should you be reading and listening? Should you be protesting or should you not be protesting and, <laughs> and letting black people take the lead on that? Should you check in on your black friends or should you leave them alone? Um, <laughs> should you ask for help or should you be doing the work? 
Um, and so he, he was saying, well, yes, it's confusing. You'll figure it out. <laughs> we've, we've been figuring out how to, how to live in a, a world dominated by white supremacy for a few hundred years now. It's confusing and maddening to us too. Um, you will figure it out. And so what I would say to parents is, Yes, you should be reading. Yes, you should be listening. You should be talking amongst yourselves to other white parents, which is why you and I, two white people, are here having this conversation so that we're not relying on the labors of people of non-dominant cultures to educate us and to educate the people who are listening to your podcast. And then we have to take an action. We must not wait until we, perf we feel as though we perfectly understand the issue to do something because you will never understand it all. I will never understand it all. And if we wait until we can say, oh, yes, now it's perfectly clear to me and now I'm going to take the exact right action, you will never take an action. So what are you going to do? Talk with your children. Read books about people of non-dominant cultures living their normal lives uh, about taking actions to dismantle racism, um, join your local showing up for racial justice chapter, which I've done as well. Um, they have an action hour. Uh, I think in my group anyway, it's every Monday and Friday you can show up and everybody like 300 people are on a call together, writing to senators, writing to, um, counties to get them to release prisoners early. I mean, it, they, the actions change every month. Um, take, take a step. It, there, there's no one prescriptive, you know, this is the step you must take, but take a step. And then once you've taken that step, take one more. And so if you, if you're looking for that kind of list of, well, what are the steps that I can take, then yourparentingmojo.com forward slash race. Um, there are those two posts there that will help you to understand uh, what are the privileges I have as a parent. And now what are 39 potential actions that I can choose from to, to take a step and then commit to taking a second step beyond that. I love that. And I, I want to add from my own experience, just to be willing to mess up. Oh yeah. Too. Um, yeah. And when you get corrected, just accept the correction yes. <laughs> process, the yeah. information. Yep. Um, I think one of the, the things I'm seeing a lot more now is just people, I mean, and I'm not seeing it more now because it's happening more now. I'm just recognizing it more now yes. is how quickly we are to just be defensive. Yeah. You know, we all make mistakes and there's nothing wrong with making a mistake. Um, when somebody points out that you made a mistake, thank them. Yeah. Take it away. Chew on it for a little bit. Dissect it. Um, yeah. And don't be afraid of making those mistakes because it's funny when you said like, you're never ready. I always talk about that when it comes to being an entrepreneur, when are you going to launch your business? You're never going to be ready <laughs> or even having a child. Like, well, <laughs> let me just, I need to make 10 more dollars. Right. You know, and, uh, then I'll be ready. <laughs> then I'll be ready. And yeah. there's always an excuse. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's... that the, the situations in the world, whether which, whichever, if you, you choose to look at Breonna Taylor or George Floyd, like whatever it was, all of these issues have kind of lit a spark to kind of ignite these changes that have been, they've needed to happen for years because like you mentioned earlier, we were taught, you know, then there was Martin Luther King and then racism was done. And that's, right. that's how I was raised. That's what I believed yeah. until life showed me otherwise. <laughs> um, and so I think this is just such an important conversation and I appreciate all of I'm going to link to the, the URL um, for the racial resources mm -hmm. on your website. 
Um, and I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule and being willing to have this conversation with me and with my audience. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me. It's such necessary work and I'm so glad that you're out here doing it along with me. <laughs> That's it for today's episode of the Familypreneur podcast. You'll find all the links mentioned in this week's episode and the show notes at megbrunson.com slash podcast. Until next week, I'll see you over in the Familypreneur community. Bye for now. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and a rating on iTunes. It only takes a moment, and let's be honest, it helps other parent entrepreneurs know how amazing this podcast really is. 